0: Now. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete, here's Sal Licata. Take you on 9 o'clock tonight in the Sports Zone. First Mets off day of the season. Get used to me here when the Mets are off. That's been the M.O. The last four. Now this is uh, season number five. So the last five seasons. Any off day uh, I'll be on. Mets off day, Sal's on day. That's how it works here. We're going to do uh, plenty of Mets. Uh, we'll get to uh, Yankee stuff as well. But the Yanks playing right now. So we focus Mets. We talked to Kevin Kern in the New York Post. Obviously a friend of the program. We've talked to Kev throughout the course of spring training. And now one game. Kevin in the books I loved your three articles uh, a couple yesterday and then the one uh late last night I guess was in today's paper salt and pepper shaker so a lot to get to here let's start with Noah Syndergaard though sending the message the way that he should the way that an ace should on opening day
1: yeah Sal it's, um this guy wants to be number one and um I'll tell you a quick little funny story to put him in perspective um uh, late in spring training I went up to him and said um, because I've, I've kind of figured him out. We've had a good rapport this spring. You know, he, he's a, he's a fun guy to deal with. Uh, and I said, "Hey, I got a good nickname for you and Degrom. You know, back to back." He goes, "Oh yeah, what do you got?" I said, Grom, You know, Grom. <laughs> and he he kind of chuckled. He said, "As long as my name's first.
0: Oh, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> Love that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that tells you. I mean, you know, it's, it's clubhouse humor. It's everything else, but it's also there's a, there's a, there's some strength in there about uh, I want to be number one. So this guy, it's a great rivalry between the two. Um, I think Degrom will come out big, big uh, tomorrow, and and it's great to have. I mean, how many teams have a one and two like that? And now I think he learned some things too, because if you remember way back when, early in spring training, I told you the Mets. Uh, the mission was going to be to pitch inside. I think that was the same day I told you they were going to get Vargas. He'd be the guy. And um, and he and if you look yesterday, he he the home run he gave up was a little bit. Uh, it was the inside fastball forward Molina, a little bit misplaced. So I think he's going to learn that just going inside doesn't work. You have to go inside a certain way. And I think he's going to make those adjustments. So I think yesterday. Uh, you know, the 10 strikeouts, uh, I know he wasn't super happy with his performance, uh, but I think he'll learn from that and be even better. I thought it was a great uh, start off, though, because it's, always, it's a different day, uh, opening day. The adrenaline is different. You, you wait around. You're basically waiting around. And this is a guy who, who really didn't pitch last year for, for all, all purposes, you know. so So I thought it was a great start for him. I think DeGrom will be off to a great start. They'll push each other, and we'll see how the other guys do.
0: Yeah, and look, it's great that they were able to get a win on a day where he wasn't at his best. And I know it sounds nuts saying he wasn't at his best with 10 strikeouts, no walks, but we get the idea. He should be even better than that, uh, and we have to expect that he will be. But I think you touched on something interesting, Kev. It's a different dynamic than, say, 2015, where Syndergaard was one of the guys but not the guy, and Harvey was the leader of the pack, and now the roles have reversed to where you have Syndergaard being the alpha male on that team, or the alpha dog, I guess, on that team uh, as the as the top of the rotation. And he even came out today in the Players' Tribune, I guess, saying that he expects big things from Harvey or watch out for Harvey. He looks like he's going to be himself. What impact has the attitude and confidence of Syndergaard at the top had on the rest of the guys throughout that rotation?
1: Well, it's given them a backbone. And, and as for Harvey, I, if you remember, I think it was about a month ago. I got Bobby Cox on the record after he saw one of Harvey's early things, saying this this guy's going to be back to pretty close to the Harvey we used to see. So it's no surprise that the Mets, you know, the Mets have been thinking that way for for five six weeks now. Um, and you can see in help Harvey's demeanor; uh, he's got his lower half he's using more because of Dave Island, and and I think Syndergaard is kind of taking the pressure off Harvey because Syndergaard is now. The man, quote unquote, and you think it's also he's also taking the pressure off Degrom because now Degrom can just go out there and be himself and pitch. And I, I think it's interesting too that Degrom, um, you know, Degrom got his hair cut. I think he wants to he they he, they want to separate themselves from mm. each other so they know who's who. And I, I know Degrom uh, he just got tired. He he has been complaining about that hair for years, just a pain in the neck to take care of. But I also think it, it, he doesn't want to have the exact same look as Simegarde. Uh, each guy is individual. Harvey's got a much more uh, purposeful uh, look and appearance, and I think Harvey knows too. You know, it's hard when you're hurt, and and this is the first time he you know he's been back there, close to being back to normal. Free agencies right around the corner, so he's got he's got his thing going. So each guy has got their own um, you know their own thing going, but it all it all comes off of Syndergaard in my mind because Syndergaard has set the tone. Okay, follow me, boys. Ever, you know, ever since he threw that first pitch for World Series, mm. I mean, that's that's a story in itself. If you want to really break down stories, I mean, I, I, when I talk to Island, Island still gets pumped up about that pitch. And you know, I, and if you if you read my column a few weeks ago, I asked Island about it, and he said, you know, that's uh, I, the, the moment he he let that pitch go. I turned to our bench coach and remember he was in Kansas City then. I turned to our bench coach and said, "We're not winning tonight." You know, and so he knew, uh, and that's where Syndergaard came up. with a great quote with me when I asked about Ireland. He said uh, he's a badass. So, so I think um, you know, I think it's Syndergaard is, a, is definitely the alpha, and uh, and it's it's fun to see. Now I think other guys are going to try to do better than Syndergaard starts. So it all works well in a, in a great competitive atmosphere, and that's that's what the good teams have. They want to one up each other as much as. You know, they obviously all want to beat the other team, but they want to, you know, they want to one up each other, and that's what the, the Mets could have on a nightly basis sometimes with these guys. And and uh, you know, uh, and i said it. For them, that's why, if in in the baseball preview, I know he's the only guy that did it, but I, and I sincerely believe it. It's all got a breakaway, but. I could see the Yankees and the Mets in the World Series this year. I mean, it's really not that far-fetched if you think about it.
0: I would uh, not I would not be stunned if that were the case myself. I mean, look, it takes a lot to get there, but I, I myself, yeah, yeah, I picked the Mets to win the division, so I'm not shocked, uh, yeah. or I would not be shocked if that were to be the case. And, you know, the, look, there's a lot of good signs for both these teams here. You've touched on a lot of them throughout the course of spring training. We're talking with Kevin Kernan of The Post. Another thing, you know, you talk about Syndergaard being the leader of that rotation and guys, you know, the trickle-down effect that that has. Well, how about Mickey Calloway being the leader in general. I mean, you could throw Island in there too. It takes takes one to no one, and Island himself is a badass, so he would know that no one is. I love everything about both these guys. Sandy Alderson has to be thrilled about the hire that he made with Mickey Calloway, and I love the way you discussed it in your article.
1: Yeah, I also spoke to Sandy on the side about that as well, and I'm glad you brought up Calloway because actually, my column for tomorrow, which will be posted some point this night uh, tonight, is is about how. How Callaway has basically created this, this 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 vibe of do your job, be accountable. It's almost a, in some ways, it's a Belichick type thing. But he's created this vibe, and the most important thing about this vibe is that the Mets' biggest player Cespedes is is all in on it. That's the key to me. He shows up at the press conference the other day with the two other guys. He speaks English uh does a great job in the press conference he's the first one out of his locker yesterday after the game to meet with the media he, you know he's he 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 allows himself to be moved to number two but of course it's not just being allowed to be moved to number two that's the point he made the other day he says uh, they told me your best hitter is number two so he's giving you know he he's acknowledging his own his own uh, ability there and he'll move to number two so so I think the best move Callaway has done, he's come in and sold all this, but he sold it all to the number one guy, Cespedes, and now he's in a clubhouse with Todd Frazier, a key, a, you know, key veteran, Gonzalez, a, a key veteran, uh, Cabrera, he's, a, he's already uh, friendly with, Jay Bruce. So now Cespedes feels empowered because of what Mickey Callaway has done. And all this is going to filter through and make that lineup stronger. You get Comforto back. And, and then you go really deep and you got uh, Nimmo who's been, uh, you know, I, I I said it last year in the show, I like Nimmo. A lot of guys worked down on Nimmo way back when. I think Nimmo is one of those pieces of a puzzle you've got to have on a team because he's excited to be there. He's your golden, you know, he's your trucker the lab. He's the guy that's running around, happy to be doing anything. He was so thrilled to score uh, the first run of the game. He'll say, you got to have players like that who just bring that enthusiasm uh, he's a different stature than uh, than Brett Gardner, but in many ways, to me, he's a Brett Gardner type, and. Uh so I, I I think this lineup is being undersold as well.
0: Yeah, and you talk about something that's important too—the the togetherness. We've talked about the accountability and the togetherness of this team a little bit. Started with Cespedes. I couldn't believe that he spoke English at the press conference. And maybe some people don't think it's a big deal, but I do. And you know, he seems—we were talking to Wayne Randazzo the other day, saying that Cespedes seems more jovial than he's ever been before. That is a huge thing that Callaway had to do when he got the job. It seems like he's done it at least early on, getting him to buy in and this group Kev seems to be together and when you have that sometimes that can outperform just talent on paper
1: absolutely and, and uh, uh, you know I, I'm a little I, I thought it was great that he spoke in English but it kind of let the like cats out of the bag I've been talking to him all year and it, <laughs> you know, I've been going up to him every day when I need I know I don't wear him out but yeah. when I need certain things
0: well, no, who I made him – Kev, whose idea was it to have him do that? Because somebody had to be in his ear. Why the change all of a sudden? I didn't understand that. Well, I think the Mets PR people
1: have been in his ear that it would help down the road. And like anything else, uh, you know, I commend the Latin players uh, for everything they do and speaking in English because, you know, I've tried to learn Spanish, and I'm not good at it. I'll admit it, you know. So I can say a few words with them here and there and get through. But to come in and speak another language, that, you know, you want to be comfortable – in your own skin and you and you want to be comfortable answering those questions so so he has been understanding the questions for years and if you and if you work slowly with him he'll give you a great answer if he feels like it but he's more comfortable in his skin now doing that and i think i think we got to saw and, and it was great for everyone to see but that's the success I've been seeing. That's why I haven't been down on him with some other people and criticizing of him, of the way he goes about his business, because he's a little different. And he comes from Cuba. It's a different situation. You know, he's different than the other guys. No, it's not his comfort
0: zone. So, it's, 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 out of, yeah. you know, it's out of his comfort zone for him. I can understand so that. We're
1: seeing, we're seeing him, you know, the friendly byplay between him and I'll give you another little example, a little side story. You know, uh, when I went up to Todd, for, and I've known Todd since he's 12 years old, so we have a great rapport. And I asked him early on about Cespedes, these kind of questions you're asking me, and he said, "No, I love I, Cespedes is great." And I don't, you know, I don't understand why people. He goes, "Matter of fact, he's always busting my chops about beat me in the 2014 Home Run Derby. You know, he's always best busting his chops about that. So he's not busting his chops in Spanish about that. He's doing it in English. So, so I, I think uh, I think Cespedes is the teammates uh, know what kind of guy Cespedes is, and, and the and the Mets world got to see. Uh, assessments a little bit come out of his shell uh, the other day. And, again, that's a credit to me, to Mickey Calloway, making all these guys do your job. There's no other fluff around here. We don't have any – you know, I noticed there's the emotion – there were a couple of motivational sayings in the Mets clubhouse. They've been wa- washed off the walls. It's been repainted. They have the new hallway with the champions and the uh, NL East titles and all that stuff leading in. The only words they have is basically uh, – some chance from what you would hear from Mets fans to get you prepared as you leave the clubhouse, walk down the tunnel, get on the field. It's all about being on the field and and doing well for yourself and the fans. That's what Mickey Calloway has created. There's none of this other BS. And uh, his day one, the first, when I had lunch with Mickey before spring training started, the first one of the first things I asked him was, well, what are you going to do to win is over? And he said, you know, I've already had dinner with him in New York. I've I've, I've started this uh, relationship, and, and and I think it's going to be great. And he's lived up to his post. men have lived up to their work.
0: Love it. Love everything about him. Love everything about their start. Hope it continues. Kevin Kern in the New York Post. Thanks, KeV, for a couple minutes. Always appreciate it.
1: Great, Sal. Take care, and see you at the ballpark.
0: Yeah, look forward to seeing you guys out there. I got to make a trip out there this year. Uh, it has to happen. I did not let, my schedule sometimes gets in the way, but uh, not that anybody cares about that. But I, I definitely want to go to more games at City Field. Oddly enough, I'm, I'm going to Toronto tomorrow morning. I'm going to check out the Yankees and the Blue Jays game three of the Yankee season tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Checking the Rogers Center, or as I like to call it, the Sky Dome, off my uh, ballpark list. And I have a couple other trips planned this year as well. But I got to make sure uh, I get myself to city field uh as well 800-321-0710 800-321-0710 what do we got coming up next producer mark uh i forgot what we had here Richard Justice? Oh yeah, Richard Justice, that's right. I knew we had a guest at seven, oh, it's right in front of me. I am, I'm an idiot. Uh, Richard Justice, MOB.com, national correspondent. I want to go around Major League Baseball, so we'll do that in a little bit at 735. Uh, don't forget, your next chance to win $1,000 coming up at 805 right here on WOR. It's the Sports Zone, Salicata in for Pete McCarthy, the voice of New York, 710 WOR.
1: You're in the WOR Sports Zone. And for Pete, here's Sal Licata.
0: Go around Major League Baseball in a few minutes with Richard Justice of MLB.com. Just trying to catch up on some of the happenings around Major League Baseball uh, at the moment. Uh, or actually earlier today, we went, uh, we told you a little bit before about the silly, ridiculous, uh, call to that Pirates and Tigers game, uh, with replay basically ruining the sport, uh, as it is. In case you missed it, uh, well, you know what? We'll probably post that segment later, uh, online, uh, at 710WR.com, so you should stay tuned for that. Uh, but anyway, Tigers and the Buccos took place this afternoon, and the Pirates ended up winning that game 1310. When it looked initially like the Tigers were going to win. And then replay reversed the call. Go check out the highlights. I'm sure it'll be everywhere. Nationals behind a dominant performance from Max Scherzer. They beat the Reds in Cincinnati on their opening day after they were rained out yesterday. So Scherzer uh, continues uh, his dominance as uh, the Nats win it 2-0 in that one. Man, I think Scherzer had 10 strikeouts just trying to get the exact box score up here. But, man, that guy is a beast. He's one guy who has been better than – maybe not better than advertised, but he has lived up to um, the contract. And, and you, you know, nobody nowadays lives up to those contracts, those long contracts. But Max Scherzer certainly has for the Nationals. And you think, or at least maybe hope, that it would uh, fall apart at one point. But it did not. Scherzer himself won six innings. Much like Syndergaard, he struck out ten. Like Syndergaard, he walked one, but only allowed five hits and didn't allow a run. That's the big difference for him. That's bullpen. uh Had a clean three innings as well. So the Nats off to a good start getting the win uh in Cincinnati. Yanks right now in action. And there's no score top of the second. John Carl Stanton did not hit a home run. Thank goodness. And I don't know if it's more because uh, I'm not a Yankee fan or because I don't want to hear the hideous calls that uh, John Sterling came up with. I mean, how lame? How lame can you be? What has happened to broadcasting? I mean, that is – we. oh, we have it? Are we allowed to play it? This is courtesy of WFAN in New York. Go ahead, Noah. Let's listen. Uh, some people, I may warn you, want to hold your ears for this one. Uh, let's listen to John Sterling. His home run call yesterday, the first one, and he had all offseason to prepare for this and wanted to come up with something cute for Giancarlo Stanton that rhymes and gets everybody excited. Let's listen to it. Swung on and drilled to deep right center field. It is high. It is far. It is
1: gone. It is first Yankee at bat. Giancarlo. Non si può sto parlo. Oh, my goodness. It is a Stantonian home run. A two-run blaster right center in his
0: first Yankee at bat. And the Yankees take a 2-0 lead. Now, do we have his second home run call or we don't have that? Because I'm curious if he did that in the second one. I'm not sure. I didn't hear it. Again, it doesn't really count. I mean, that is embarrassingly bad. That is embarrassingly, embarrassingly bad. I mean, I'd be ashamed. Uh, That... that, That is, you know, there are certain things that other people do that are so dumb and lame that they actually make you feel stupid listening to it. Listening to that, I felt awkward and uncomfortable. That is how hideous of a call that is. I mean, everybody likes to have some fun with baseball. We know it's not the end of the world. You know, you want to have some fun in the games and stuff. But you're talking about technical play-by-play at times. Yeah, John Sterling is as far as it gets from that. You can't be any worse than he is. And then when he tries to put the song and dance on everything, uh, I guess some people find it entertaining. Uh, some, some of them are, but this producer, Mark, is as lame a call as you can probably get. I don't want to toot our own horn, but uh, we have the best baseball announcers. Well, wow, everybody knows that. Not everybody in, knows. Not even in New York, and in, in probably Major League Baseball. Well, Howie's, Howie's the best. I mean, yeah. uh, Howie is the best. Just, and, and Gary Cohen on SNY yes. is the best. The Mets broadcasting team on both TV and radio. There's nobody better. Right. Uh, it's just. But that is. I mean, come on. Even that's even bad. I guess the best way to say it is that's even bad for Sterling. You know, we know what Sterling is. It's a clown show with with that broadcast, with the way that he calls the games. But that is even that's bad for him. That that's how awful that is. That's bad for I him. I wonder if he knows what language he was speaking. I, I don't think anybody does. It's funny on SNY last night. They asked me if I can make sense of it. Why did they ask me? You think because I'm Italian, right? Oh Salvatore, oh Sal, you gotta know. Yeah, was I, that Italian? I, I, I he said it. Well, I guess I. I have no idea. I said, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me in any language. It's a stupid call. I, it doesn't make... Horrible. And I, I, The idea that you would plan a call like that is lame to begin with. And then to have all this time to plan a call and then that to be it... You just, sometimes you just scratch your head and you don't know what people are thinking. 800 321 710. 800 321 710. We'll have Richard Justice of MLB.com. He is the MLB.com national correspondent. He'll join us next. We'll go around Major League Baseball with Richard, which is always fun. Sal Lakata in the Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, the voice of New York, 710 WOR. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy. Here's Sal Lakata. Well, the baseball season is finally here, and can't be more excited about it. And to discuss it further, let's talk to Richard Justice, who is MLB.com's national correspondent. Richard, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for taking a couple minutes. First, I want to get to what I deem to be, uh, you know, some negative uh, happenings around Major League Baseball, even in this day and a half so far of action. I'm assuming you saw what took place at the, or what should have been the end of the Tigers-Pirates game this afternoon.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I did. What- I mean, yeah. isn't,
0: I, I, you know, look, I'm against replay to begin with, but but Richard, if you're a Tiger fan, you pay money to go to the game, you celebrate what you think is a walk-off win, and then a call gets overturned that, I mean, I, maybe it's my eyes, but didn't look conclusive to me. How does that get overturned?
1: So, Sal, are you saying, a Detroit TV guy said on the air that he thought the really close play shouldn't be reviewed, which is the whole point of review. I think you try to get it right. And I, I think that's the whole point of instant replay in the first place. I think that was an odd case, though. I think to go through a whole season, you're going to have weird moments. It's um, you know, in terms of instant replay, you remember the neighborhood play at second base. Sure. I, I mean, the baseball had to decide: look, are we going to have replay, and are we going to try to get the calls right or not? I, I just think this was that was a strange play, and it was because the Pirates left the field. And I looked at a bunch of replays and I couldn't tell. But the boys in Chelsea Market were, uh, they felt pretty confident with what they saw. And when you show, you see the definitive replay. I don't know if you'd call it definitive. You can see where it looks like uh, he got the tag on him. So, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I like instant replay. I like, I think there's nothing worse than going into the clubhouse after a game and when a blown call costs you a game.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I know what you're saying, but I almost feel like as a sports fan, you're always going to complain about something anyway. Why not have that to complain about? Oh, we get screwed by that ump. It was a horrible call. And you move on to the next one, as opposed to now the replay, which takes away the instantaneous, you know, uh, ability to celebrate, which is about the sport, not to mention, and maybe this is a rare case, okay, we've seen it happen before, Uh, but not to mention that this sport, Richard, baseball doesn't really play to this because it's a game of inches, and for example, in yesterday's Met game, as Drupal Cabrera stole second base, or he advanced to second base on a wild pitch, and his foot for a second, you know how the guys kind of slide, and his foot goes across, and then pops up, and for a second, a split second, he's off the bag, and the... The fielder applied the tag on him. If the Cardinals reviewed that, technically he would have been out. Now, they didn't, but we've seen like that happen over the course of, you know, replay in Major League Baseball. To me, that's not in the spirit of the rule. It's supposed to be for egregious plays that were missed as opposed to, you know, the fractions uh, of, you know, maybe wrong calls.
1: Yeah, I, now don't hold me to this, but I believe that particular one you're talking about, I believe that has been changed. Because that was gonna cause injuries. You now the thing is you do have to slide to the base, but that's a completely different different issue. But I think you know what you're you're talking is there are things about instant replay that annoy you. Uh, I agree with that and there are things about it that annoy me, but the, the mission of it is to get the call right. And I think I think that's that's what you want. If you're a fan you want them to get the call right, you know, in terms of the way that played out in detroit today that's an odd one i don't think you're going to have many like that um i you know the people i talk to uh are pretty uh pretty solid that uh we don't want to lose uh on a bad call you know now you say baseball fans need something to complain about believe me as long as there are human beings calling balls and strikes <laughs> there will be plenty to complain about so uh <laughs> if joe west is listening i don't mean you joe you know that
0: <laughs> yeah but you know what uh pretty soon richard my fear is that humans won't be in fact calling balls and strikes i think that's where the sport is going unfortunately And i'm nervous about that richard well we gonna
1: have that's separate discussion you have now have pitches being thrown that have never been pitched thrown before in the history of baseball you have wade davis throwing a 98 mile an hour cutter and how does a human being track that? Jim Leland said he would get so annoyed when a guy would throw a 91-mile-an-hour slider that moves like crazy, and the umpire would go, "Jimmy, that was about an inch off the plate? <laughs> and he, the point was, you can only hear it, you can't see it. So uh, I don't, you know, that would be a sea change. I actually think that's something to discuss. Because I think pitches are harder to call than ever before, and uh, I, but I don't think I don't I think that's I don't think that's on the horizon.
0: We're talking with MLB.com national correspondent Richard Justice. All right, last one before we actually get to some teams here. Uh, yeah. As a Met fan, um, and look, in a city where we do stuff uh, where you get, you know, a National League team and you got an American League team, you see, Richard, the disadvantage that the National League team has when constructing a ball club. And not only when constructing a ball club, but also throughout the course of the season. The DH is such a luxury. You can take on an older player, you can add a better player because you know you could get him more at bats as opposed to a team in the national league you can rest guys in today's day and age where nobody plays 160 barely even 150 anymore that you could rest guys in the dh spot with interleague play every day are we ever going to what why is the dh not universal
1: uh it's a cultural thing uh, the american league teams feel they are never going back to that that watching a hitter a pitcher hit is boring and and, um, National League teams feel like it's not real baseball. I I mean, I I can't, you know, we can talk about automated ball strike calls, instant replay, we can have a discussion, all those things may be changed. Commissioner Manfred has even thrown out banning defensive shifts and all that stuff. But I can tell you right now, we are so far away from having uh, a DH in both leagues that it is probably never, ever going to happen. Both sides are dug in, and they feel that their sport is better just the way it is. Now, it does create some oddities in interleague play. On the other hand, what has interleague play done for the sport? I think if you look at the attendance figures on interleague play, especially the rival games, mets that's Yankees, White Sox, Cubs, and all that, the fans seem to like it.
0: It's, I don't mind, I I guess I've gotten used to it, I have no choice, the interleague play, but am I wrong, Richard, to say that it's a significant advantage to when you're talking about building a team and keeping a team healthy um, throughout the course of a season that the American League has with the luxury of the D.H.? I mean, I don't see there's any way around that.
1: Yeah, well, that's what you've you've identified is the evolution of the D.H. Andrew Friedman did a study a couple of years ago and found that other than David Ortiz, there were no designated hitters anymore. And so what you're seeing is, and in fact, the designated hitter was not uh, a really productive offensive position. And so what the way they thought to do it was would, would be, and this is, and Joe Madden began this, the, the things that managers are focused on so much now is managing rest. You almost never see teams take infield anymore. In in the heat of the summer, you don't see guys on the field for batting practice very much. Uh, And so that's that's what those guys, the data-driven teams, they feel the the best use of the DH is a way to manage rest. And you have to do it differently if you're a National League club. But again, this started with Joe Madden, and he is still the best at doing it. And that is the National League team. So you just have to figure out how to do it. It's more problematic when you have 13 pitchers on your staff. now. So how many does that leave you, what, three or four players on your bench? I mean, it is really dicey. And that's why every baseball guy is watching Shohei Otani in Anaheim and praying that we can enter an era of two-way players because benches are so short now that it's almost mandatory.
0: Yeah, it's. I just feel like it's an advantage. I wish. Look, I'm a purist. I love the National League game, but I've had enough of uh, watching the Yankees and other teams in the American League (laughs) have a great advantage. You could bring on John Carlson. Who cares if he can't play? uh, You know, left field. You have him DH every day. Oh, you could rest Gary Sanchez at DH. Meanwhile, the Mets got to find a bat somehow for uh, Brandon Nimmo or Michael Conforto, whatever. I just, yeah, it's. I know it's maybe it it sounds like I'm complaining because it's a Mets thing, but I really do think it's a disadvantage for any National League team. if those
1: are your two choices. There, you might you might win that matchup. Yeah. Those are two pretty good players. You yeah. know, is, is a is an emerging star.
0: Yeah, Nimmo's Nimo's look like advantage myths to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nimo's oh. look pretty good. They're gonna <laughs> they're gonna have to get him in the lineup. <laughs> We're talking with MLB.com national correspondent Richard Justice. Richard, when I look around the league, and I love to do my season preview, whether it's reading yeah. MLB.com or SI, whatever it is, is yeah. it me or does the the league feel unusually top heavy? I, I guess you could make an argument for certain divisions where there's a secondary team that could challenge, but in a lot of cases, it's looking at the favorites and and. I have a hard time making a good argument for the favorites getting getting knocked off by the secondary team.
1: Oh, I agree with you that five of the six divisions appear to be very solid favorites, uh, and then so we're going to add two AL to East teams to that, so you would say seven of the ten playoff spots are locked in. And Chris Russo yelled at me a couple of weeks ago when I said twenty teams to have twenty two. I think was the number I used to see a path to the postseason. The other side of that is if I told you a year ago. On this day, one year ago, I said to you, look, the Twins, the, the Rockies, the Diamondbacks are going to make the playoffs, and the Brewers are going to win 86 games. You said that's nuts. And I can make a case, and I really can make a case for 10 other teams. So I agree with you. We know who's going to win the divisions. We know that. Um, but the other, the other point of that is is that there's still going to be a crazy race for the, uh, for the, for the wild card spots. And I think that's a good thing. Like you know, you take a team, Scott. You take a team like the Braves and the White Sox. Please don't roll your eyes when I say that. They've got so many waves of young players coming. I don't know what they're going to look like in the second half of the season, but they're they're on the verge of getting better quickly. Uh, do I think they're going to make the postseason? I don't think so. You know, but again, like you looked at the Cardinals yesterday, did that look like a perfect team to you? No. I, I, you know, no. It, it certainly didn't. You know, and their best pitcher just could not throw strikes. You know, just stand is opening day and you know, whatever the weather and all of that. But um, you're right. I do think it's topless.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, I, that would be a little bit of a problem for the sport. I, I know it's fun to always beat the favorites, but you'd like, like to have a little more parity. Give me the team, Richard, whether it's, I don't know, I mean, you mentioned the White Sox. I, I know that they could have a good year, but I don't think we realistically believe they could challenge the Indians. Maybe it's the Twins. Uh I, I don't know if it's the Angels. I personally don't think so. Is it the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Mets maybe? Give me the team, or the Rockies, give me the team that's secondary that you think can legit challenge for one of the big-time favorites in their respect division.
1: You know, my I tend to I, I tend to say Toronto. If Aaron Sanchez is good, uh, they've got a team. Uh, Minnesota made so many changes. And what are those young guys going to be? What is Snow going to be? What is Buxton going to be? They pinch it for Buxton uh, late in the game yesterday, and, and the game, tied the game. Um, that would come to mind. I think the Angels are pretty good. I think you can go in each division and find a couple of teams you are well, it's this and this and this. But what's got to happen is one of the favorites, they, and it's just going to be seven favorites, one of the seven favorites has to stumble, and that would mean David Price struggles, Porcello struggles, Orlando, Keiko get hurt, something like that. Something has to happen because those seven teams are, are better than the other teams. But it, it has a chance to be a great race for the other three.
0: It's, uh, I mean, look, it'll be curious. I mean, I know nothing happens, or I shouldn't say nothing happens, but it doesn't always work the way that we all think it's going to work. So I'm sure upsets will happen in certain okay. spots. So we got to figure out which ones those will be. But uh, off to a good start with both New York teams yesterday, and you know, at least from our perspective, that seems pretty good. Should be should be a good year, Richard, for Major League Baseball with some competitive divisions uh, at the very least between, like we said, a couple of different teams. AL East looks like it could be that way, and you got some really good ball clubs that once the postseason comes rolling around should be some fun series. Richard?
1: Well, yeah, yeah, and go ahead. I just want to say, you know, like the Mets are capable of backing run at it. I mean, I think the Nationals are really good. But if they keep all those those pitchers lined up, you know, I mean, if Sandy Olsen had a really good year in terms of showing up the club around it, now you need good help. But anyway, I digress.
0: Yeah, the, look, oh, how good else should be a given? i picked the Mets to win the division myself because I, I looked around and tried to pick one of the secondary teams who could upset. And in the NL East case, you're only battling, there's only two teams there. I mean, the Phillies aren't going to be any good. Braves and Marlins, hey, look, they may be okay for young teams, but they're not going to contend seriously for a division. At least I wouldn't think so. So if you're going to pick an upset, why not just try to knock off the one team and the Nats hope they come back and hope the Mets exceed expectations. But we will see how it plays out. Uh, throughout the course of the season. Richard Justice, MLB.com National Correspondent. Thanks, Richard, for a couple of minutes. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you throughout the course of the season. Thank you, sir. Always fun to talk to Richard Justice there. And You know, look, it's early on. You get it. It's way too early. you got to get a feel for some of these teams here, but more so I'm bothered by the replay and the DH stuff. Um, I, I would expect at some point the Rockies or I guess the Diamondbacks. If my pick would be the Rockies to challenge the Dodgers. I don't think anybody's going to challenge the Cubs in the Central. Uh, I do think the Mets are going to win the NL East. So that should be a competitive division there. AL East we know is going to be a battle or at least we expect it with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Maybe a third team like Richards Blue Jays or as he said, he picked the Blue Jays to jump in there. Maybe it's Bucks, uh, Orioles jump in there. Central, I think it's going to be the Indians. I'd have a hard time believing the Twins are going to make a legit run at that. And nobody's beating the Astros in the West. I would be, that's the one division I would be stunned if anybody challenged the Astros in the West because I don't think the Angels are any good. And the Mariners, I mean, they've been dreadful for years, even though uh, people have been high on them or at least had high hopes the last couple of seasons. I don't think anybody's touching the Astros in the American League West. 800 710 It's a sports zone with Sal Lakata filling in for Pete McCarthy. We'll do some of your calls next. We'll do some, uh, NCAA stuff, uh, at 805 with Ben Parisi. So stay tuned for that. Uh, a lot more to do. Uh, an hour plus left in the sports zone. Lakata in for McCarthy, the voice of New York, 710-WOR.